James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. It's not the rich you are ex who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hello. Look, I have to say... I think maybe Sam and Michelle have, have been a little bit dismissive about my dressing gown, but, but can I tell you, I have been inundated with literally some emails from men at Morning Church this week asking me where you can buy this dressing gown. I've also had emails from their wives asking me not to answer, but look, I'm actually really sad to say you cannot buy this dressing gown. This dressing gown is an original vintage 1960s dressing gown. I bought it in an op shop, which probably means when you think about it that at least one old person has died wearing this dressing gown. And, and I plan to be the second one. Emma and I actually got this while, uh, while we're on a marriage retreat, a marriage enrichment weekend. And we're in the op shop because that's what we do for romance. And, um, and I saw the dressing gown and I said to Emma, can, can I buy this? And Emma said, I will love you anyway. And I took that as, as proof. This dressing gown literally is proof of the power of love. And so, so now, that doesn't mean that everything in our family, I'm going to have to take it off, it's kind of hot. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean that everything in our house is entirely, um, entirely harmonious. Uh, there is one source of marital disharmony in the Lee household. It's a stop sign about 100 metres from our house. And let me tell you, this stop sign is literally the dumbest stop sign in the world. Because you get to it, and you can see on the screen, you can see for literally hundreds of metres when you pull up at that sign. And as you're pulling up, there's clear view for hundreds of metres. There is no reason at all to ever stop at this stop sign. Now, of course, what you can't see is that on the other side, from the other direction, is a really steep blind hill, which means that if you happen to be turning right, you are taking your life in your hands. You may end up in a kind of twisted wreckage of metal. But I never turn right. 
my house is 100 metres to the left, which means that every single time I reach that stop sign, I am faced with the question. All these different thoughts go through my head. Do I really have to stop at this stupid stop sign? It's a dumb stop sign. And really, when you think about it, is there anything really at stake here? I mean, no one is going to die if I go through the stop sign. It's not like I'm committing murder. There's no big deal here. And so every time I approach this stop sign, I am tempted to just roll straight on through it, up the hill and into home. Do you have laws or commands that you're tempted to disobey as well? I think we've seen it during COVID-19, haven't we? There's kind of two groups of people in the world at the moment. They're the people who really uh, take the, the whole metre and a half rule incredibly seriously. They're the social distancing Nazis. And if you, if you go within a metre and a half of you, they'll block you off. And then there are other people who are just completely chilled about it. They're like, ah, oh, metre, metre and a half. Pe people will come over the house and they'll give you a hug. And they're like, what does it matter? Really, there are no cases of COVID-19 in Newcastle. And it's not like it's really going to happen. It's surely all of these rules, they're just completely over the top. We are often very tempted, aren't we, to ignore commands that just don't seem like that big a deal. And to be honest, the people James is writing to may have felt that way last week about the idea of favouritism. If you didn't tune in last week, James really pressed hard into the issue of favouritism. So from chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourself, yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James really pressed into this idea of showing favoritism. But look, in the big scheme of things, is favoritism such a big deal at all? Isn't that just the way of the world? The way of the world is that if you've got money, you're going to be treated as more important. That's the whole idea of VIPs. Surely this isn't a big deal, especially if you compare favoritism with something like murder or adultery. I mean, surely on the, on the scale of, of sins, of crimes you can commit, favoritism is a long way down, isn't it? And look, we are tempted to do this with others of God's commands, aren't we? Not, not just stop signs and favoritism. What are some of God's commands that you might be tempted to just not take as seriously as others? It might be gossip. You know, God says, in, especially in places like Proverbs, not to gossip. But really, when you think about it, what's the harm in a little harmless gossip? I mean, when you think about it, the person is never going to hear about it. Surely it's better if I say what I'm worried about or angry about to you rather than blow up to them. What's the big deal about gossip? Or God's word says not to look lustfully at someone else. But look, surely me looking at pornography isn't that big a deal, is it? I do it in the privacy of my own home. No one else is involved. Surely it's better than having an affair, than committing adultery. Or, or another way, God says not to get drunk. But what's a few beers too many when I'm sitting at home by myself? What's a few cones? I, I do it at home. I'm not going to drive. It's not as if anyone else is going to be hurt by it. In fact, when you think about it, we probably all have this scale in our heads, don't we? A scale of 
commands from God and sins, and right at the top of the really important ones, you know, things like murder and adultery and rape and genocide and those kinds of things. And, and then things right down at the very bottom, like getting drunk, like gossip or, or looking at pornography. Surely those ones don't matter so much, right? Do you do that? I have to admit, in my head, I kind of have that scale. Well, today, James is going to challenge us. This is quite a, pas- a challenging passage in James. James is going to challenge us to take all of God's commands seriously. He's challenging his readers about favoritism, but really what James says can be applied to every command from God. And at the end of it, at each point, I want us to think about the kind of people we want to be. What kind of people do we want to be as Hunter Bible Church, as as Jesus' people? And James makes three points that are all incredibly helpful. His first point is, all of God's commands really all add up to love. They're all really about love. So look in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. See, James says this this whole issue of favouritism actually boils down to loving your neighbour as yourself. It boils down to treating other people the way that you would want to be treated. And the command that he quotes there comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. So there's the command. You, you should love other people as you would want to be loved, as you'd want to be treated. Would you want to be treated badly just because you happen to be poorer or less popular or less important than someone else? Of course not. That's the, the command that's actually at stake here. Now, why does James call it the royal command? He says that's the royal command in Scripture. Well, look, it could be the royal command because our King, Jesus, talked about it. In Mark chapter 12, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So you see, it could be that love your neighbour as yourself is the royal law because Jesus, our King, elevated it. But you know, I actually think it's something different. I think this is the royal law because every command from God actually flows from it. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. That's in Galatians chapter 5. Every law is fundamentally about loving other people. So Paul says, if you have loved other people, you have actually fulfilled the law. In 2 John, John says, and now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. 
And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. John says there that love is right at the heart of all of God's commands. All of God's commands are motivated by love and all of God's commands produce love. So John says, this is love that we walk in obedience to God's commands. If you want to know what the loving thing to do is, obey God. And look, the opposite of that is true as well. Sin is always unloving. Rebelling against God, doing things God tells us not to do, is always unloving. Whenever I rebel against God, whenever I break God's commands, I am hurting the people around me. That is, there is no such thing as a purely private sin. Now, look, this really challenges the way we view the world, doesn't it? See, we tend to, in the 21st century, as modern Westerners, we tend to view the world very individualistically. We tend to see our lives and all of our actions from the point of view of being individuals. And so we'll say things like, it's my life and I get to make my decisions. And look, what I do in my bedroom, what I do on my computer, what I do in my mind is nobody's business but my own. What's my life? got to do with you. And even as Christians, we're tempted to think, what is my relationship with God got to do with you? But that individualism does not tell us the whole picture. God is a relational God, isn't he? God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God is relational and his creation is relational too. God made us for a relationship with each other, a relationship with him, a relationship with uh, our community, a relationship with the creatures. And so what we need to realise is no one is an island. We're all deeply and profoundly connected to everyone around us and everything I do has an impact on other people. Every sin that I commit ultimately will hurt other people. Now look, it's easy to see that with favouritism, isn't it? That's what James is addressing to the people he's writing to. It's easy to see how favouritism would hurt other people. But let's think about gossip for a minute. We are tended to think that gossip is a victimless crime. I mean, the person's not going to hear about it. What harm does it do? A little harmless gossip. But actually, when I'm gossiping, I'm allowing myself to think evil thoughts about this other person. And then as I say them, I turn those thoughts into concrete. And I begin to shape another person's thoughts about this person over here. I begin to damage their relationship. Gossip, which seems so harmless, is actually a deeply destructive thing to do. Well, let's think about pornography. Pornography is seen as the ultimately victimless crime, isn't it? It's done in the person's living room. Nobody sees. Surely there is no victim here. Surely it hurts nobody. Don't believe it. Not only is there the people who are involved in an incredibly destructive and dehumanizing industry, but I am changed by looking at pornography as well. It rewires the way I think about other people. It changes the way I think about women. It turns them into objects, not that I have a relationship with, but of somebody that I use for my pleasure. Even the stop sign, even as I roll through that stop sign, it will hurt other people. I mean, there's obviously the, the potential of the accident, but it changes me in that moment. 
It reinforces in me the, the idea that I am above the law, that I am above other people, that my convenience matters most in the world. And that will leak out in the way I treat other people. It may not be a direct one-to-one result, but the result is there down the line. God is a loving God, which means that every time I disobey this loving God, eventually someone gets hurt. And so James says favoritism really matters because this is about love. In fact, obeying all of God's commands really matters because this is about love. Obedience to all of God's commands really matters because other people are at stake here. In fact, James says this issue is actually a test of whether or not you have understood God's love, whether or not you have understood the way God has treated you. Have a look in verse 12. It's a slightly confusing verse, or at least it's a little hard to understand, but have a look at what James says in verse 12. He says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, at first, that verse is a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because if you're a Christian, we don't expect to be judged by law at all, do we? That's the wonderful thing about Christianity. I'm not judged by the law, by the Ten Commandments. I'm judged because I'm, I'm judged by grace. I'm judged by mercy. The wonderful thing about Christianity is when Jesus died on that cross, he took the penalty for all of my crimes. Jesus paid for every stop sign I've rolled through. Jesus paid for every time I've looked lustfully at someone else, every time I've gossiped, every time I've done anything wrong. Jesus took the penalty for that. And so as I stand before God, I won't be judged according to a law. I'll be judged according to Jesus dying in my place. Which is actually what James is saying in verse 12. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. What law was it that gives freedom? Well, in verse 13, it's the law of mercy. It's the law of love. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's what happened on the cross. On the cross, mercy triumphed over judgment. Mercy triumphed over anger. Jesus showed me mercy and love. But what does it say about me if I do not show mercy and love to other people. What does it say about my understanding of God's love for me if I don't care that my actions hurt other people? What does it say about my understanding of the gospel if I don't care that my favoritism degrades other people? If I don't care that my gossip hurts other people? If I don't care that my sexual immorality changes the way I treat other people? It says that I don't understand the law of mercy at all, doesn't it? And James says of that person, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. If I do not, if I'm not moved by love for other people, it shows I haven't understood the love of God at all. It shows I haven't understood this wonderful thing that Jesus died on the cross for me. James says obedience matters because it boils down to love. 
Look, isn't this the kind of church that we want to be? Don't we want to be a community of people who are deeply sincere about obeying God? You know how you can, you can smell hypocrisy. You can spot it in people when they're just acting, acting things out, can't you? When they're just playing decent games. But you can also see sincerity of people who really care about doing the right thing. That's the kind of church we want to be, isn't it? A church that really cares about loving each other by obeying God. Think about it in the context of a growth group. When you're in a growth group, this group of people for a year, two years, three years have an incredible power to encourage you by their godliness, right? And you by them. As we see each other grow in our perseverance, going through hard times. As we see each other wrestling with temptation and fighting it and really caring about it. As we see each other being patient in our marriages and being patient at work and forgiving and all of those things. Our capacity to love each other in a growth group is just enormous. Let's be that kind of church. The church that loves each other enough to be passionately obedient to God. That's James's first point. Obedience matters because in the end it all boils down to love. The second thing, and much shorter with this one, James says obedience matters because all of God's commands are actually connected. So look in verse 9, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So James is he's talking about the Old Testament law here, but I think you can apply it to all of God's word. He says, if you break one of God's commands, you're actually guilty of breaking all of God's commands. Because when you think about it, God's word is a unified whole. They're all within the same scriptures. And so my attitude to any one of God's commands actually reflects my attitude to God's word in general. If I say this command not to lie, it's just not important. What I'm really saying is God's word is not important. That is our idea of this big list of these categories of sins, the sliding scale, if you like, is actually wrong. They're all God's word. You know, one of the things I'm tempted to do is just have these little sins that I cherish. I'm kind of obedient to God on a broad scale, usually the things that I like being obedient to God in. But then there are these sins that I cherish and I'm I'm kind of even tempted to, to do a deal with God. God, how about this? I will obey you in all these other ways if you'll just let me keep this little sin, this one area of my life that I want to disobey you in. And look, I'll, I'll be obedient in all those other ways. And, and maybe can we do a deal somehow, God? Really, what that's saying is, I don't care about any of those acts of obedience either. I don't get to pick and choose out of God's commands which are the ones I think are important. It's all God's word. And my attitude to any one of God's commands really is my attitude to all of God's commands. And so again, what kind of people do we want to be? We want to be people who love all of God's word, don't we? We want to be people who love the entirety of God's word and not just knowing it. James talked to us about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? Where he said, it's not just about reading God's word. It's about doing it. How will we know as a church that we really do love God's word? Well, it's not just by knowing it. It's not just by being able to quote Romans 6 at length. 
It's not just being able to define justification and predestination. You can tell the church that really loves God's word because they repent. When God's word shines a light into our life, when one of our brothers and sisters comes to us and says, here's what God's word's saying, does it actually match what you live? We love to repent. I think repenting, admitting that I'm wrong and changing, man, it's one of the hardest things in the world, isn't it? I hate being told I'm wrong. But you can tell the people who really love God's word because God's word, when it comes to us, we don't just hold on to cherish sins. We don't say, this is actually unimportant. We say, it's all the very word of God. Let's be the kind of church that loves repenting. So every command matters because they're all about loving people. Every command matters because it's all God's word. The third thing, the last thing that James says is, every command matters because these all come from the same majestic God. Have a look in verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. What James is saying there is the command not to commit adultery and the command not to murder are ultimately the same because they come from the same mouth. The same God said, do not commit adultery and do not murder. Now, what that means is there is no such thing as an insignificant command. There is only a majestic commander. There's no such thing as an insignificant law. There is only the majestic God who is our lawgiver. And look, yeah, sure. Some sins will have a further reach in my life. The sin of adultery is going to reach further into my life in terms of consequences, say, than sliding through a stop sign. But they all have the same authority over me. Some have longer consequences, but they all have the same authority over me because they all come from the same God. And so, you know, as I approach that stop sign, what's going in in my heart really actually does matter because it's a barometer of my attitude to God himself. God tells me to obey the civil laws. He tells me that multiple times. In 1 Peter in Romans, God tells me he wants me to obey our government's laws. And so how I treat that stop sign is actually an indicator of what I think about God, isn't it? We don't just obey because of the seriousness of the law. We obey because of the majesty of the lawgiver. This is actually something I'm trying to cultivate more in my daily life. I'm trying to lead myself to be more aware of God in my daily life. And, and not, not aware in the sense that people talk about of feeling God's presence. No, but recognizing that God is part of all of my decisions. I want to feel the pull of obeying God in every single one of my decisions. I want to get the pleasure out, out of obeying God in every single one of my decisions. I also want to get the relief and the joy of knowing that I'm forgiven with every single one of my sins. Because that's the thing. This passage doesn't mean, doesn't stop us believing that we're saved by Jesus' death alone. We are saved by Jesus' death alone. We are saved not because we obey all of those commands. We're saved because Jesus died on our cross. But why did Jesus save us? So that we could live to worship this God. 
Jesus wants better things for us than disobedience. And so he saved us that we might worship the majestic God. You see, this passage really does help us to think about the kind of people we want to be. James is drilling into the issue of favoritism, but really it's about the kind of people we want to be and how we treat all of God's commands. Let's be a church that really loves each other enough to obey our God. Let's be a church that really loves God's word enough that we repent at every time we read it and we love to change and we love to obey all of it, not just the bits we pick and choose. Let's be a church that loves and fears our God enough even to treat what seems to be the most insignificant command with the majesty of coming from our lawgiver, from our great God. Let's be a church that is deeply sincere and heartfelt. I'm going to pray exactly that now. Will you join me in prayer? Our great God, we praise you that we are saved by Jesus' death alone. We praise you that we are saved by the law that brings freedom, the law of mercy, the law that Jesus died on the cross for us, paying for every single sin. But we thank you that you also saved us that we might obey you, that we might live to worship you and please you. And Father, we confess that we're really tempted to have a scale in our heads of what's important and what's not. We're we're tempted to pick and choose. Help us to see that all of your word is important. Help us to see the far-reaching effects of our obedience and disobedience, the way it either hurts or helps other people. Help us not to fall into that lie of complete individuality. Help us also to see that your word is connected. We want to be the kind of church, Father, that loves your word enough to change, to repent, to welcome the challenge. Help us not to pick and choose to have those areas of our life where we try and make a deal with you. And Father, we pray that you would give us a sense of your majesty, that there's no such thing as an insignificant law, only the majestic God. We pray that you would help us to be aware of you in our daily life, to see that each of our decisions is part of our relationship with you. And Lord, we we know we're going to muck it up. We know that we'll never obey all of your commands. And so we thank you for Jesus' death. We thank you for grace, for mercy. And we pray for the mercy and grace that you'll also change us, that we might continually grow in obeying your commands. Amen. Hi, Greg. <laughs> I'm sure. Can I comment? Can I say snappy dressing gown? Well, I just got a little bit cold in the break, to be honest, and uh, this was the nearest thing. It is prickly, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But Siberian warm. It and really just, is quite cosy. And just remember, somebody probably died. Very <laughs> oh, look, I'm with you for rescuing old things from op shops, as my husband would test to. You, te- you rescued oh. him from an op shop? No, 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 but many are granny blankets. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sorry. that's the question. Are there limits? to what you would wear. So, for instance, I'm not going underwear from an op shop, <laughs> but 
Most other things I'll have a crack at. You know. oh, I draw the line much, much further above that. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us for some questions today and to be put on the spot. And, you know, just keeping in the theme with the dressing gown, Dave Holland asked, because this need to be named who it comes from, yeah. if keeping the law matters because there is a component of loving others, how do I avoid lying and hurting my pastor's feelings that his dressing gown is a little bit ugh? Well, I, I don't think you need to <laughs> avoid lying or you just need to own it. And, and so can I say, Kath, this is the week to go out and to buy, Dave, a lovely dressing gown. I can recommend several op shops. Uh, I may even have an old dressing gown that you can give him. Because it really, it's, it's about changing the heart. <laughs> changing Dave's heart. And That's... it really is quite warm, so. <laughs> there you go. Well, moving on to something a little bit more serious. Um, we talked about uh, obeying the law uh, in trying to be obedient to Jesus, but how does obeying the whole law fit in with Old Testament laws that we don't follow anymore? You know, all those weird ones about head covering. Maybe I should have worn a hat today. Yeah, I don't know. That's right. Great question. Andrew and Nikki sent that one in. Um, this is actually, I think it's a really helpful question to us because if we don't answer this, we could end up only ever reading the New Testament because we don't know what to do with the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And at different points, the New Testament seems to say things that they feel contradictory at first glance. And so, you know, Paul in books like Romans, particularly Romans 9 to 11, um, will kind of, um, he'll say that the law has been fulfilled in Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and Galatians 5, you know, if you, obey, if you love, you've obeyed the whole law. And yet in um, Matthew chapter 5, um, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, so Jesus is really saying there, the law has not disappeared and will not disappear. How do we put those two things together? My summary sentence for wrapping it up in my head is this. Christians keep every single Old Testament law, but Jesus changes how we keep every single Old Testament law. Every single Old Testament law has to be understood through Jesus. So there are some commands that Jesus, uh, Old Testament laws, that Jesus keeps for us. The law that said I needed a sacrifice to pay for my sins. The mm. law that said I needed a priest and I needed a temple. Jesus, I still fulfill those laws, but Je I fulfill them because Jesus has fulfilled them for me. Sometimes Jesus shows us the true meaning of laws. So the cleanliness laws, the food laws in the Old Testament, Jesus showed that the true meaning of those was actually that sin is something inside the heart. Sometimes Jesus shows me the greater reason for keeping those laws, that it's about loving other people. And so every single law I obey, but Jesus changes the way I obey every single law. It's never a matter of just going cut and paste in my life. Mm. It's always a matter of looking through Jesus as the lens. Okay, so somehow that uh, prism of Jesus actually changes how that law plays out in yeah. our life. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, another question, uh, moving on to something a little bit more practical. Uh, how do we take a rebuke well? That was a great question. And I went, oh, yeah, yes. it. Um, 
There's the question of how do I take a rebuke and, and how do I wish I took a rebuke? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's right, isn't um, it? Yeah. That, when we, um, I think whenever somebody challenges us, there is that immediate um, pain in my heart, that immediate kind of fear in my heart. I've done the wrong thing. Are you saying I've done the wrong thing? Mm. Um, but when I step back, um, the Bible teaches me that I sin all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it is very likely that if you challenge me about a sin, um, that I am actually, I have committed it. And Jesus' death is this wonderful freedom to say, I'm forgiven for that. Mm -hmm. If I don't keep Jesus' death in the front of my mind, every time someone challenges me about a sin becomes a threat to who I am, a threat to um, my eternal destiny, you know, it, it says something awful about me. The more I keep Jesus in the front of my mind, the more I can say, well, I am forgiven for this. And I know in my heart that the likelihood is that I'm guilty. Mm. And so I can admit it and rest in grace. Um, that also, I think, helps us in terms of how do we deliver a rebuke well? Mm. I think generally the best way to, to deliver a rebuke is not to say, you did this, or even, this is how you made me feel, which is really just code for you did this because you made me feel that way. It's, can you explain what happened there? Yeah. Giving the person freedom to explain it. Mm. Um, and at some point to go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner as well and Jesus isn't a great Jesus died for all of us. Can we talk about it? Mm. To approach it just a little more gently. Well, I guess you're even talking about the other side of that, aren't you? That uh, in the delivery, you're actually in the spirit of helping the person coming to realisation of what they can change rather than feeling affronted or... Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That first moment is the hard bit, isn't it? Yeah. That first... <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Being called out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And put on display for all your warts and all, I guess. Yeah. 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 Great. Uh, I think maybe we have time for one more. Uh, in terms of uh, obeying the law and trying to uh, live by the law uh, in the current climate, what sort of things do you think we're actually in danger of falling into or, or falling prone to um, in our unique time? For me, I think I'm in two things that I've noticed happening in my heart. Mm. One is um, thinking I know better than the government and know better than authorities. <laughs> oh, what? surely we can move more quickly <laughs> than that. Um, surely we, we don't have to be this and we don't have to be that strict and so on. Yeah. Um, there is, yeah. and the more I jump on Facebook, the more I'm prone to it, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. uh, and so th I think that's one of them. The other thing that I have noticed is in a day that's not face-to-face, -face, because things aren't so face-to-face -face at the moment, mm. um, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. <laughs> um, when I don't see people, it's so easy for me to think negative thoughts, yeah. um, mm. to assume negative things. And yeah. I've really had to work hard yeah. in these last six or eight weeks to keep going, no, I know that person. Mm. I know that they're lovely and I know that they're Christian and I really adore them. So why am I allowing myself to assume negative things? Mm. There's two areas that I've really two areas of command mm. that I've really uh, had to think hard about in the last kind of eight weeks. Mm -hmm. yeah. I yeah. don't know. What, I mean, your life is quite different to mine because you're actually, you're a doctor, you're working face to face with people. and Yeah, it's, it's funny that you say that, but I think I probably struggle with the same things um, in that uh, 
I guess we're not talking to people as much. So you kind of play out these little conversations in your head of what they're thinking and what their motives are. And you're almost attributing these negative emotions to them that they haven't even thought about and yeah. sending them, uh, sin against them in that way. Yeah. You know, I think that's very easy given that we're all in our little bubbles and it's really hard to actually reach out to someone. At the yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Just quickly, I noticed a great question from Pete Tuckett. How do we obey the law without being legalistic? Brilliant question, worth discussing at home. For me, it comes down to, Pete, the, the reason I do it. The Pharisees only obeyed the law so they could get out of it, so that they could, they could obey the first bit and disobey in a whole bunch of other areas. We mm. want to obey the law because we love the law. Mm. So, yeah, I just noticed that was on the feed. Well, I think that's all that we've got time for, unfortunately. We could probably sit here and chat all day. I don't know if you want to watch it at home, but, you know, we could I'm keep cold. <laughs> I want my dressing gown back. No, it's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> watch out. Might be coming home with me. Um, so if you're new here, we've loved having you here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you really enjoyed being a part of our church service this morning. 